0: Is messaging giving your compliance function headaches? Well, welcome to a special five-part podcast series on messaging compliance in a shifting regulatory landscape sponsored by Global Relay. Over this series, I will visit with Chip Jones, Executive Vice President, Alex Vile, Director Regulatory Intelligence, Rob Mason, also Director of Regulatory Intelligence, Jeannie Clark head of content, and Rewyn Danvers, sales manager in business development. Over the series, we will consider the U.S. and U.K. regulatory framework for messaging apps, consider if business innovation is being stifled by regulatory action, preview the Global Relay Report, Compliant Communications in 2023, and look down the road on how to stay ahead of regulation with compliant communications in one app. First, a message from our sponsor, Global Relay. Put compliance at the heart of your business communications with Global Relay. With integrated cloud solutions for every step of your compliant communications journey, Global Relay helps regulated organizations mitigate risk and meet their collaboration, privacy and safety requirements. Global Relay has built a rock-solid foundation for compliant communications from the Global Relay app, which allows firms to communicate compliantly on any channel, including text, WhatsApp, and more, to intelligent archiving and connecting everything in between. Founded in 1999, Global Relay delivers electronic communications to over 20,000 customers in 90 countries, including 22 Of the world's top 25 banks. Find out more at globalrelay.com. In this episode three, I visit with Rob Mason on the shifting UK regulatory landscape around messaging apps. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back with another episode today. I'm thrilled to have with me Rob Mason. First of all, Rob, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hey
1: Tom, nice to see you. Thank you very much for having me. Rob, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and your current role? Sure. So my name is Robert Mason. Presently, I'm the Director of Regulatory Intelligence at Global Relay. So Global Relay provides some compliance technology solutions focusing around compliant communications and archiving in line with regulatory requirements. But as a brief intro, I'm based in London. I worked as a compliance manager at Lloyds Banking Group and UBS, where I was responsible for the oversight of the trade surveillance and communication surveillance for market abuse. I guess that was for around 10 years. And before that, I spent five years with the FCA, that's the UK conduct regulator. And I was in the team which helped to supervise their market abuse regulation. So reviewing and examining regulated firm surveillance capabilities.
0: So Rob, it seems to me that I have seen here in the United States multiple announcements, perhaps even more than usual, from the FCA, certainly in 2023. And I wanted to maybe start with, what do you see as some of the current UK regulatory priorities or new regs that might be coming out?
1: Yeah, sure. I think it'd be fair to say that we've seen some change in the FCA over the last few years, and not least caused by... Brexit. So that was Britain part and company with the rest of the European Union. And that hard deadline consumed huge resources in order to get all the relevant arrangements in time. And there was a bit of a shakeup in personnel and personnel in management generally. That sort of made a led to an exit of corporate memory in some degree. And it was exacerbated by the fact that some change in lower level staff due to leadership changes. So it's taken them a while to get back to full strength. But that outcome has been a period of slightly less effective supervision and oversight across their broader mandate and also notably the number of enforcement actions which have been successfully delivered. I think another notable shift has been that the FCA was always the markets regulator, i.e. the wholesale or financial markets, overseeing banks and brokers, policing, fair and transparent markets, trading and other activities. that focus has shifted more recently and has required them to take a broader oversight against retail and consumer financial services, as well as that wholesale piece. So the number of firms has increased with very little change in the budget to do. So there has been a bit of a shift there. Having said that, what we're seeing is some of the more interesting topics around record keeping and surveillance. And I noted on your last episode that my colleague Chip was talking about the SEC actions around personal device use, and it would be fair to say we'd expect to see something similar coming from the UK or other European regulators. Crypto is obviously the juggernaut-sized issue that the world is wrestling with, and the UK is no exception as that regulation is being defined. I'd say that the ESG, that environmental, social and governance issues, with sustainability and environmental commitments are still being wrestled with. And I guess generally the technology changes, the pace of change, and some focus on the power of other areas like social media and how that may influence or even manipulate markets is something which you've seen creating a few headlines.
0: Rob, since I now know you formerly worked at the FCA, I'm going to take the opportunity to educate the U.S. listenership on this podcast about the FCA. FCA, and I really wanted to maybe step back and ask you, I've always thought the FCA's remit was broader than, for instance, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission because it included things that the CFTC regulates. So I was wondering if you might be able to explain the remit of the FCA and is there a U.S. equivalent or is it really equivalent agencies?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think it's led from a market infrastructure perspective. When I spoke to when I was working at the FCA and I spoke to some of my regulatory colleagues in FINRA and the SEC, they were very envious because the FCA was a fairly single body that was able to monitor, investigate and indeed prosecute for all issues so that they were one place, a one stop shop for all. I think the US has got obviously multiple regulators looking at different disciplines and asset classes, and they're often also reviewing and investigating and then passing that off to either SEC or Department of Justice in order to get that prosecution undertaken. I think, as I said, the FCA's remit changing, particularly to look across consumer financial services. So that might be things like insurance brokers and maybe even sort of high street financial pawn shops and other things of that nature has led some in political circles to question whether present arrangements to supervise wholesale markets are entirely fit for purpose. Um, Yeah, what would the alternative be? Perhaps a separate body which looks at markets to retail and maybe even a redefinition of the roles. So we've got the Bank of England also that does some prudential regulation, so it makes sure the market integrity and everybody's not in any way challenging the systemic stability of the markets. As opposed to the FCA, which looks particularly at enforcing the rules and regs with regards to things like market abuse and behaviour and activity and conduct of those that are participating
0: the you mentioned messaging apps and certainly the securities exchange commission got a lot of people's attention particularly last september before the end of their fiscal year where they assessed multiple fines and penalties of totaling 2 billion dollars but the department of justice has also talked about that in the context of us foreign corrupt practices act many we see many developments in the financial institution or even regulated industries move on to non-regulated industries. And that's what I see with the DOJ talking about this in the FCA FCPA context. Do you see that same sort of, if not dialogue, perhaps evolution in the United Kingdom as well, where messaging apps enforcement or at least concern will move from what I'm going to call the regulated industry space to non-regulated industries?
1: Yeah, we certainly do. And I think some of that reflects in exactly the same kind of rhetoric that we're hearing from across the Atlantic, that record keeping and surveillance piece is critical. I think that there's a a strong potential for a broader requirement, and it might not be limited to financial services at all. And I think we see bigger institutions that employ large numbers of folks, increasingly keen to monitor their employees to make sure that they're not doing something which might lead to those organisations being on the front page of newspapers for some unpleasantness. It might be a fraud, but it might also be something that's like a harassment or a discrimination or even a kind of bullying charge. And we've seen a few sort of big scandals across large institutional employers in the UK, in particular around that issue. The Metropolitan Police was an example where we've seen some pretty unpleasant misogynistic language or some prejudiced language, and they've been identified. And you begs, question should they be looked at or monitored in a more vigilant way to avoid some of those scandals coming to light so i agree i think that's i think that the direction of travel and i think some of the inquiries which we're seeing from potential prospects bears that sort of suggestion correctly out we
0: are recording this on a day where a gdpr fine of over 1 billion dollars was issued against Facebook. And so I really wanted to use that to introduce the topic of GDPR regulation, but even make it more complex by overlaying the United Kingdom, as you've already mentioned with Brexit, and where you see particular potential regulatory updates from either GDPR or the United Kingdom as well.
1: Data protection is a pressing issue in Europe and in the UK particularly and when we're engaging with a new client there's always some quizzing around the data protection issues faced when seeking to monitor communications effectively without breaching an individual's data privacy. I think it's going to be a moving feast, and I don't think we've arrived at the final conclusion yet. But I think one of the ways that we tackle this, and I think some of the more experienced firms suggest that a compliant individual is usually eager to be within the compliance perimeter and so make sure they have their communications monitored properly, as it provides them with the protection they need to demonstrate they are being compliant in the same way as they may be compliant with other policies which they're required when working for a bank, perhaps. Obviously, reviewers of the communications also need to be aware of the fact that they may see personal communications and they therefore need to exercise careful discretion when managing them. The jury's out in terms of how this will land eventually, because I think that, yeah, that we've seen this grow. And I think that the data protection concerns are probably more prevalent in Europe than they are in the US right now. But I certainly see a growing appetite across the Atlantic where this is going to be something which is considered much more seriously on a maybe state by state or even national level, because data seems to be the key element. That everybody is most concerned about and certainly is a very sensitive issue when you're dealing with the large financial institutions.
0: Where do you see the issue of operational resilience from the re- regulatory perspective? Certainly from the business perspective, it's a mandatory conversation. Are you seeing anything from the FCA or other regulators that would cause you pause or something that you might counsel your clients on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It really is, Tom, at the moment. I guess the big news that's happened across Europe and is impacting the UK quite heavily is the forced marriage in Switzerland between their two behemoth big banks, which was UBS and Credit Suisse. And that's really a kind of casebook exercise in operational resilience. Just to give a brief summary, going back in time for a moment, we look back at where the financial crisis, UBS found themselves in a real tailspin with regulatory problems as well as the impact that the financial crisis had, and that required them to get a government bailout just to keep going. Credit Suisse at that point had emerged in a really good position. They hadn't been so damaged and they were looking forward to capitalising on others being less strong. I think that really changed the kind of perspective and UBS required themselves to invest heavily in operational risk management, including compliance and surveillance and streamline their offering, reducing what they did as taking risk in a proprietary way in favor of a client model. And Credit Suisse didn't have the incentive to change. They hadn't felt a lot of pain. And so they continued on expanding and taking some risk and limited their operational risk framework. Fast forward 10 years, Credit Suisse saw a heap of kind of CEO conduct issues, huge fraud scandals with clients that they themselves backed. In top of a relationships with less desirable clients, confidence in them entirely was lost. And just putting compliance to one side, banking is all about trust. If for a moment we think our investments or our savings may be at risk, then we're just going to take them and put them somewhere else. And in the end, I think Credit Suisse paid the ultimate price as people lost confidence and the confidence of the investors was failed, and the checks and balances that were required to maintain confidence had not been taken, an utterly terrible set of circumstances which befell them. So covering operational risk is critical to survive the present challenges.
0: The government response in Switzerland to merge the two entities was that, it was certainly unique because of one, the Swiss government's willing to do two, really only two major players so only one could digest the second is that something you would expect to see from other governments Shot, shotgun marriages as we would say in the US south
1: it's an interesting one i know i got close to swiss banking to a degree because i worked for ubs for 7 years and it did feel to some degree their contingency plan should one fail would be the other to be folded into it and i think that was probably always the plan having said that we've seen a huge amount of conjecture over whether or not that's the right piece to happen. And there's, I think, some stuff going to go through the courts around the relevant investors who may have lost money as a consequence of this. I think that decisive action was needed. And I think the world really required decisive action to avoid any systemic or further contagion that may have happened as a consequence of one of those huge lenders going over. So I think that needed to happen. I think it will be decisive going forward. It feels the markets are much more stable and there seems to be much less contagion risk. I think we saw a little bit of a wobble, but that seems to have steadied the ship. And It's very difficult to make really good predictions under these circumstances. But it feels like that decisive that decisive weekend where all was decided seemed to have been a sensible and prudent move by the Swiss government, probably under pressure from international parties too.
0: Rob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. I hope our listeners will join us next time where we take up the Global Relay, Relay Report of Compliant Communications in 2023. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted more information on any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place for them to go?
1: Hey, thanks very much for having me again. And if anyone would like any more info or look at our solutions or even a demo of what we have in some of our technology, then please pay a visit to www.globalrelay.com.
0: Rob, thanks again. I hope we can continue this conversation.
1: Hey, thanks, Tom. Great to speak to you. Cheerio.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messaging Compliance in a Shifting Regulatory Landscape. I hope you'll join us again for another episode in this special five-part series. If you'd like more information on anything you've heard on in this podcast, check out GlobalRelay at GlobalRelay.com. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.